Welcome to episode number 50 for the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Land transactions, whether you are a buyer or a seller, can be extremely complicated. What is uncovered during due diligence might unravel a deal, so it's important to do as much research as humanly possible up front. Sometimes complications are not uncovered until a land real estate deal is underway, and if it happens, it matters when you have a knowledgeable agent to help you along. We are calling this segment Land Chronicles, discussing specific sales that could help you out with your land buying, selling, or leasing journey. This is the case of buying the farm and the tenant. Ryan Schroeder is an award-winning managing broker from Nebraska, and he is here to tell us the story of a land purchase that went right, but could have gone very wrong. Now sit back and enjoy. I am sitting here with Mr. Ryan Schroeder, the one, the only Ryan Schroeder. Uh, the myth, the legend. The himself. myth and the legend. You've, you've won numerous awards. You, you're also, I didn't realize that you had actually won the Apex National Broker of the Year Award at one point. Is that, is that, was that a recent win? I don't have the year on that. Uh, well, yeah, I've had that. Well, I've gotten that award, I think, five or six different years so far. So no big deal. No, no, just another, another day. No, it is kind of a big deal. I mean, it is kind of a big uh, deal. That's a yeah. very prestigious award. I mean, that's a, that is not a small deal. Yeah. The National Land uh, Realtors Association, they do a very good job in recognizing the guys that, that, that uh, sell uh, a, quite a deal, you know, sell a good deal of, of land over the course of the year. So yeah, they do a good do. job of recognizing those people. We, uh, we just recently talked to Ashley McCraney, um, who specializes in poultry in well, yeah. Alabama, and she, she won it this last year. And so we, we've had numerous winners for this award out of National Land Realty. And, and it's like, I, I was, I was really pumped to talk to her about that. I didn't realize that you'd won it. Like, <laughs> well, mine is an apex. Well, but, but okay. Mine is apex award. I mean, th those recognize the guys that sell a high volume, but then there's also like Ashley's award is, 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 is higher award than what I get. Um, hers was, I think, what was it? Ag business. So, yes. I mean, that is that there's only, that is a specialized deal where there's only like, I think there's five different categories and she fit that. She was outsold all the land brokers in the ag business industry. Mine is just a recognition of a high dollar amount. That's all. That's really all my, I work. got you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't put me up on a pedestal that I'm not, that I shouldn't be. Oh, on. I still got to throw you on a pedestal. I'll just throw, <laughs> I, I'll throw Ashley on a larger pedestal. Um, and she's coming back on in, in a podcast here in the, in the next couple of weeks to record, to talk about that specifically. I, it was funny. I mentioned it during the podcast with her and kind of talked about her winning the award. And then we never got into the details and she reminded oh, me yeah. afterwards. She's like, you know, we never got into the detail. Okay. Let's, let's do another episode. Get you back on here. We, I really want to recognize it because uh, it is a cool uh, deal. A hundred percent tip of the hat to her. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm grateful because she kept me in line there, which make sure that we get that story told. Um, but we're here to talk about you are licensed and you're in Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota. You're all over the place. Um, and, and so right kind of before we get into the story here, cause we're talking about, you know, you had a specific deal that 
that you worked with that became complicated. And it's one of those ones that applies to a lot of farmland throughout the country is those, those kind of verbal lease handshake situations. But I sort of, I sort of wanted to get your sort of year in review on as to what you're seeing. We've been talking a lot about a market plateau in 2023. And I think that you're seeing a little bit of that there. I just wanted you to speak to that really quickly and then we can kind of move on, but I just, I, I do want to get your insight because of your experience. Yeah. And the ag market here in those three States, um, like you said, we had a good increase. I think we had about a 13, 14% increase in Nebraska statewide from 2002 to uh, the first part of 2023. And since February or so really, it, like you said, it, it has plateaued. I mean, can't really, I don't have a whole lot to speak about as far as the current market conditions. I mean, we rode that wave in 2022 and now we're just sitting on top here, uh, seeing what's going to happen next. So. And, and with the price increases for all the inputs of farmland that we're seeing, it's one of those parts where once you see a price increase in a product, say fertilizer, say, uh, you know, uh, bug spray, uh, you know, any kind of insecticide, any kind of, uh, you know, any of that stuff, when you see a price increase, you generally, you know, they'll talk about, oh, it happened because of this, but then you never really see it come back down. It did it, it, no. stabilize because you yeah. realize people will pay for it, but that's also going to increase the price of the land because it's more expensive to run it. There's a lot of things that go in there. So that, that plateau thing, it, it seems like a relatively stable situation right now. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but it's kind of well, my in a way, yes, because because starting of 22, you know, talking to a lot of farmers, you know, like their fertilizer, potash, um, that stuff, they knew those prices were coming up. They were able to probably uh, pre-buy a lot of that stuff and sit on it. So they, so they were able to get through 22 with maybe not seeing those huge inflations of those prices. But now in 23, they're dealing with just like what you said. The prices have gone up. They have not gone down, nor probably will they be. Will they? They'll probably be the new norm. Um, so, so now they're dealing with that as as well. And each year, when I'm talking to some of the farmers, I'm like, okay, guys. And, and granted, this 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 is kind of a, a very broad question. Uh, I get goofy looks when I do ask this, but I said, guys, what what is your break even? And last year. I think it was somewhere around four and a half dollars for corn was there was going to be their break even. Now, this year, their break even was around 520 to 540 is kind of the range that I'm giving. So really, 75 cents more this year per acre per bushel that their break even. So that kind of increased on on with with talking with the inputs that they are, are dealing with this year. Which so is always interesting. When you're talking about like that, that's a that's a substantial increase that you've got to run just to break even. Yeah. And I mean that that all of that that break even cost, you know, comes in with your land cost, your diesel, your inputs, uh, your your cash rent that you have, uh, if you're renting stuff. So I mean that, and that's why I'm saying that is a very broad question. I get a get a wide range of uh of answers on that because if you look at a guy that he's like, hey, you well, know, I all my land's paid for. My my break even, his break even might be three dollars. I mean, right. great for him. He's gonna have a great year. <laughs> so because because he'll have to match market on some level, and that's gonna be more margin for him. Mm-hmm. And and that's 
I do get a kick out of it. I mean, I don't get a kick out of it because it's it it hurts the the food producers of the country where it is like you know natural gas increases in price. So it, that raises the price of fertilizer because natural gas is used yeah. in the production of fertilizer. So then you see an increase in the cost of fertilizer. Well, natural gas goes back down. You won't see the cost of fertilizer necessarily drop as much. And then all of a sudden you see news reports, record breaking profits. Of course you got record breaking. (laughs) Your obligation is to the investors and the stockholders and not the customer at the end. So of course you had those. Right. So, and that's, that's, you know, that's what you say, the end user, the consumer, um, you know, the guy that's buying it, you know, for your household use, that's, that's where you get it because all those stuff just roll over and roll over. And the end user is the one that's really ends up paying for it. Right. Right. Because it's not like it's not like the purchase of those inputs is optional. You can't go without those. So you're kind of over a barrel there. And if the whole market moves, you just got to move with it. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is so some guys will cut down the the amount that they may put on per acre. Um, you know, so, well, if they do that, is are their yields going to come down with it? You know, or are you going to have some residuals from next year? So it might not affect. But now you have to roll the dice of. Well, now I might have to double it the following year because I, I cut it in half last year. So, yeah, all those things. I mean, to be a farmer, you know, man, it, it just takes so much planning. And I guess that that leads us into uh, into our conversation. I think that's a good lead in to you working. You're talking about a very specific sale that you had that included working with a farmer that I'm, I'm not going to say didn't plan, but had some things in place that affected the sale of his property that had to do with planning and, and sort of, you know, the logistics of a, of a sale and how those kind of things go. Um, you know, give, give me a little bit of a premise here. Lead me into the story of, of this sale that you were talking about. Okay. So a few years back, um, had a, had a sizable Iowa farm. It was a little over 1900 acres contiguous. And, um, we were getting down to the point to where we were going to close. Well, the seller, now I was representing the buyer in this case, and the, and the seller was with a, another company, but the seller had put it up for sale. I brought the buyer, of course, and then we got it under contract. Well, going through, and we had a long-term close on this one just because of the, the circumstances uh, that the buyer had, didn't wasn't able to get the money until later in the year. Um, and we put it under contract kind of, you know, or, you know, gosh, March, April, somewhere around there. But then we were going to close somewhere in October and November. Well, we had talked about, and so 1900 acres. So there, there's a little over 1100 acres that was uh, tillable on this farm. So, I mean, that's a sizable amount. The seller had said, he goes, yes, I've, I've always had a verbal lease with this individual. I told him verbally that it's under contract. The new guy uh, is going to come around. So the following year, you won't be able to farm it because the buyer I was representing was going to bring in his own tenant. He had his own tenant in mind. So So, quick question on this. So you mentioned, you know, you put it under contract in March. It didn't close until October because the buyer was trying to acquire the liquidity to be able to pay into it. How often is that the circumstance, that sort of long sales cycle where you go into contract and you run into either they're trying to acquire funds to make the acquisition or, or, or something like that. How often is this the case? And, and, it, and this is more, you know, 
people that work a lot with land are going to know this more offhand, but this is more for people that, that don't do this kind of acquisition often to understand how long the sales cycle is. Well, in this was this was just kind of an atypical deal. I mean, 1900 okay. acres is nothing to sneeze at. So it was the reason for that at that time was he wanted to put it off into the year further off into the year as long as he could because of the income standpoint he didn't want to buy it and close on it in the in in uh, let's say in the middle of summer then he really has six six nine months of no income off of it so you know you're buying over a four million dollar property and and i'm getting a loan for it in this case he was and I'm going to have to make these payments, but I'm not going to have any income coming in for a while. So that was the reason we offset it for or a long, long closing, because like, OK, I can I can feed the alligator, so to speak, for three, four months. Then the first of March, I can get some of my cash rent coming in. So that's that's why we structured that deal. Each deal is different. Um, so you you may have one that that is uh, that is going to have a long uh, closing such as this one. Um, but then also, you know, that's why you see a lot of the farm ground come up later in the year, first part of the year, because of those reasons there farming this, it. When you're talking about how it's not going to produce income, is this because, and I'm just going off of, you know, my, my infinitely less experience, it, infinitely less experience than you in, in real estate. It's because the crop yields are, owned by the owner and they can take it with them and they can, they can still, the, the profit is still theirs until the sale. And then the next crop yield planted by the new owner would be owned by that person. Is that, is it, am I, am I missing that? Well, they'll, they'll be owned. Well, in some, some cases, yes, they'll be owned by the, by the owner. If they, if they farmed it themselves or they hired someone to custom farm it. But in this case, these yields were, were owned by the tenant. So the tenant basically paid the cash rent um, in, in two phases in March and in October. So you had two different times where the, where the money was coming in, but the tenant owned the crop. So basically, right. and that's why the closing date was pushed off is because that new owner wouldn't have gotten any money until the following year. Okay. So we're saying uh, the same true. thing. You just have a much more eloquent way of saying it, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> so basically the new owner would buy it, but he didn't own the crop because it was it was planted by the tenant currently on it. Correct. And the tenant would get that profit. So even if he owned it, he would never get anything out of it until he planted his own crop with his own tenant. Right. Or another way is you're basing it on that fiscal year. Right. So, so that fiscal year is probably first of March when he would have got some, some or all part or half or all of the cash rent. And so the closing date was, was determined around the fiscal year. Well, that took us a long time to get there, didn't it? <laughs> well, and and the, I have one more question to kind of convolute things before you get to move on is, <laughs> is how often is it the case where you have a landowner who owns the land and a tenant who is renting it? to harvest and run the crop where the landowner isn't actually the one doing the production. Oh, that's, that's in our cases of the properties that, that we are selling, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes. It, that is probably 75% most of the time where gotcha. an absentee owner or, or an older generation owns it and they have a tenant uh, farming it, whether it's whether it's one of their relatives or it's just someone that has been on the property for them forever. 
Gotcha. So, so in this case, so you had a sale that, that had a long sales cycle and that's kind of where the problems arose, right? Where, or not problems. I'll say challenges. We'll say challenges. Well, the, the challenge was, was the seller gave a verbal, uh, lease termination or due notice, uh, to the tenant. The tenant was the smart one where he, he decided to wait until after September 1st and says, Nope, I didn't get prior notice here. I need it in writing, not verbally. So where the hiccup in lied is we were getting ready to close uh, after we've had it in contract for so long. And he basically said, he goes, I wasn't given proper notice. So I get the right to farm it next year, which if I had 1100 acres, yeah, I'd, I'd probably fight to farm it. So that, cause that's his livelihood. Because so the new owner was wanting to replace the tenant, correct? Yes. The new owner had, had, had a tenant that he had in mind that was going to come around uh, and pay substantially more uh, per acre. So, and, and that's, that's almost what kind of messed that deal up was a, the, the, the new buyer was like, man, I'm losing out on all this money here. Uh, you know, cause like $75, $50, $75 per acre times that a little over 1100, you know, that that's a, that's a, good amount there that he's missing out. And plus I got to have this tenant here, which now I don't like him because he's pulling this. Um, I mean, and, and that's, okay. That, these are the buyers. Yeah. I was going to say exactly. from his perspective, the, the, the tenant is pulling a move on him and really the tenant is just upholding contract law. Yeah. Yeah. And so in Iowa, I mean, that's, that's what you have to do. You have to give them written notice prior to September 1st, whether it's a written lease or a verbal lease. So uh, the, the seller just failed to do that. The, the other land agent overlooked it. And, you know, that September 1st date came and went. Uh, the, the tenant, it, honestly, he was a smart one in this case. So, but, so the buyer's thinking that, you know, the, the seller is trying to pull something, the tenant's trying to pull something, he's losing out on this money uh, for next year. And, and if I gotta buy this, then I gotta keep this guy on for next year. Um, so a little bit of handholding, you know, a little bit of talking saying, Hey, look, you know, look at the land value alone that we've had it in contract, you know, and you're planning on keeping this, you know, don't lose out, you know, on just something very minor in this case. Um, so, so he ended up closing he, the tenant came and went that year without a hiccup. Um, and he's, hey, hey, man, he still has that place. Uh, so, so so what we're what we're looking at too like so you, you went over it roughly just now is that you you go under contract in march and mm -hmm. the deal closes in september or you said october i think october november october. Like that. so so october november in the time between march and september the the value of that land has increased but you were locked in at the the contract price which was right. in march so he has this opportunity cost even if he's looking at you know, I, you know, I'm losing out because I'm not getting income on, on the land. And then I got to maintain this tenant for another year. Even with that, the opportunity cost of not doing that deal with the increase. Cause I mean, what could happen is the, the current owner can say, cool, we're going to cancel the contract and, and I'll sell this to somebody else at a higher value. And I make more money. Right. This person's locked in that, you know, so, you, so it's sort of like walking somebody through the opportunity cost that, that they have at that moment. Right. Well, that you have and you don't want to miss out on because, yeah, I did kind of just just kind of skirt right over that. But <laughs> I, th I think 
And I, I can't remember, but I think it was it was something like almost a thousand dollars an acre had occurred from the contract date from the closing date. And, and that's what got us to the closing table is I basically put together a BPO for the seller and say, okay, look, here's some current sales in this county, in this area, you know, with the same CSR. And, and let's look at what, you know, what these are selling for right now in compared to what you're selling, what you have it under contract for, you know? So I, I think you just kind of grin and bear it for a year because even if you did lose out, I mean, it would, it would have to be pretty substantial of, of your, uh, of your cost, you know, for your rental income to, to um, see the opportunity costs or the inflation of the, of the property or the anticipation of the value of the property from contract date to close date. Which, so in that case, you're, you're running the, the price breakdown of like, okay, yeah, you could fold this deal because there's sort of a complication with the tenant. There's been, you know, a verbal agreement and not a written agreement. So you're locked into this tenant for another year. And, but here's the thing, if you go out and buy a different piece of land where you don't have this trouble, you're going to pay a thousand dollars more per acre because of what's mm -hmm. happened during the time you've had this in contract and, and yeah. basically letting somebody know that they've got to take a wash for a year, but they're still going to make more money. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't really a wash. It's a little bit, it's a fractional portion of what you thought you could make. Right. Versus what you actually are making. And, and, and that was, the, and that was the struggle there. That was that was real money that I am getting in my hand. You know, the thousand dollars an acre increase. You know, technically that's just kind of on paper. Uh, you know, you don't get that until you actually sell it. But it, it, that took a while uh, to kind of um, you know convey to him that hey, look, don't don't honestly don't mess this deal up because there's there's a lot more here that you're getting than you are losing. And the buyer was still okay. Cause if I'm the buyer at that point, I would want the deal to collapse so I could make more money. <laughs> well, if you're the seller, yeah. 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 But you want, you want to turn out and sell it for a thousand dollars more an acre. You're like, Oh yeah. crap. But, the, but this, but this individual did not sabotage things. They upheld the contract to get the sale done. Yep. Yep. And there was, there's a lot of back and forth. I mean, it was in, you know, but it, there's, there's deals there where, where they're real easy, where, you know, you talk to them, you just give them updates like, Hey man, title or abstract is done. You know, Hey man, we finally got some final numbers, you know, Hey, bring so much to the closing table. And, and honestly it, it, it happens that easy, but then there's some things where like this, it's like, Hey, you know, forgot to talk about the lease. Okay. Now we're doing this. Well, I thought this, you know, so, so yeah, there's, there's good and bads with everything. So, so how often do you encounter these situations where there's sort of a verbal, a handshake agreement when there should be a written agreement that that can threaten things? And what, what are the logistics behind that? Where um, what does have to be in writing? You know, that sort of thing when, when you're talking about especially tenant situations or lease situations. Well, what what needs to be in writing is basically the amount of tillable acres that he is farming the price on that for cash rent, the the price of the um, tillable ground that he's farming, uh, start date and end date, um, you know, and then, and then if there's a pivot included in there, you know, who takes care of what, who pays for what, and uh, those those are basically the main points that you really want in a farming lease 
but then, so yeah. And then to answer your other question is how many times do I run into a verbal lease? Especially in these days, uh, it happens more than what a guy thinks, um, you know, because, you know, a lot, a lot of the older generation, they, they still operate on handshakes, which is, is great. I wish everybody could still do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they've had a tenant on there for years. They've take care of the place very well. And they said, Hey, you know, uh, you know, Mac here, he's farming it for years and, uh, he takes good care of it, you know? So we just, we just have a verbal lease. And, and to explain some of the logistics behind verbal leases, state by state, this is different from state to state, right? Like the, in some states, there there's much less regulation on verbal agreements. In some states, you have to have everything in writing. But in this case, you know, and, and, and I would say that it's in my state in Idaho too, a, a verbal agreement is good for a year. But outside of that, you need a contract. And just is it the same in this case? Yeah, for, for your farming uh, leases, verbal, they're they're they'll be good for a year, you know, the growing season. And and so basically I come to you first of March. Hey Mac, can I still farm your place? Yep, okay, here's some money. All right, good. I'll talk to you next year. You know, that's kind of a, a, a quick and dirty verbal lease. Uh but you know, and then a dry land situation that's that's very typical. That's what you're gonna do. But then the thing is, is so let's let's take it a step further. That happens in March. And now in April, you put the farm up for sale and there's a verbal lease on there. And now we go, we, we sell it. And let's say we have an October or November closing date again, and we don't address that verbal lease. Well, that farmer, that tenant has it. If you do not give, if you do not give them verbal notice prior to September 1st or written notice prior to September 1st, he will have it again next year so in this case let's say this happened in 23 he'll have it through 24 and then you could have a new tenant on there in 25 if that's if that's the case if you give them written notice prior to september 1st so but in this case let's say the owner does give him even though he has a verbal uh a lease with him he gives him a written notice prior to september 1st and then we close on it now that new owner can farm it himself in 24 or he could uh, uh have someone rent it from him in 24 or in most cases really if the tenant's there if the tenant's been a very good tenant and, and, and sometimes in these cases the seller wants the the current tenant to stay on even with the new owner um the new owner will renegotiate and have a written lease or a verbal lease uh for them moving forward yeah, because if you're looking at an investment opportunity and somebody's already taking great care of it, there's no sense in in like wrecking that balance and trying to find 100%. a new seller. Right? Yep, yep, yeah. Especially if the seller. I mean, I try to do my best, especially if the seller is sitting there saying, "Hey, Ryan, I, I do want you to sell this, but Mac here, he's been a great tenant over the years. He's taking taking care of it, and I really like to see him. Uh, really like to see him stay on. I'm like, hey, great. So when I'm showing that property, selling that property. I'll, I'll tell the new buyer, I'll say, Hey, look, I, the, the owner has had these people here for years, you know, you know, we, they really like to see them stay on. Uh, and if it's an investor, you know, yeah, sure. Great. That's one less thing I have to worry about is renting it out. I'll, I'll stick with him, but then he may be, you know, kicked off the farm. If, if a new owner's coming in and they have their own farming operation, you know, they'll probably want to farm it themselves. 
Right. It, and one thing I wanted to ask too, because I'm just more curious than anything. And I, I like putting you on the spot. Uh, so these, <laughs> so, so these lease agreements where you have a tenant there in the case of a sale, like you mentioned, you know, you go in and somebody puts an offer on it in March, the person decides to sell the landowner decides to sell. Is there, is there a premature out on the lease to where, you know, there's a lease agreement for a year. Are you able to give 30 days notice before the harvest and just say like, well, no, we're switching it. We'll reimburse you for the, the op, you know, for the work put in and the, the work put in on the crop and the yield. And yeah. sort of is, is that done very often? That's very like few. Yeah. You, you can go in there in, in, in most cases where that will happen will be in a, in a, you know, in the early part of the year, where if he's already bought his inputs for it, they kind of reimburse him for that. And that's only if the tenant will agree to be bought out. Um, because they have the contract in place. They don't yeah. have to leave. Okay. Yep. That's the tenant has, has full rights to, to farm that place. And if he does not want to uh, accept a quote unquote buyout for that year, he doesn't have to. Which is also a great thing to know if you think that you're going to go out and buy cropland and think that you can put your own tenant on like no not so much the the person doesn't have to take the deal the person's currently running the harvest yep yep correct yeah so i mean there there are cases where where they do a buyout but i can't say i've ever had a case where they have done it later in the year you know when you know when it's almost harvest season or if it's almost you know or mid-season i've i've had cases where we've done it you know kind of in the first quarter you know, prior to April where the guy's like, well, Hey, look, I haven't done anything to the farm yet this, this year, but I've, I've bought my inputs, you know, pay me my inputs and pay my cash rent back. And I'll, I'll say good, you know, but I haven't had a guy come in there and say, you know, when everything's planted, everything's looking good. And, you know, say, Hey, what's your projected yields on this? Well, I'll just pay you for that. And, you know, I, no, I can't, I've never had that situation. Which I mean, I could see where that could happen, especially with like an uninformed buyer where they, they they think, okay, it's it's like a business acquisition. I can go buy the business. I can oust current management, throw my the management team that I want in there and everything will be good to go. It's like the cropland is is such an investment and so there's a lot of logistics to it. You can't, it, I mean, it, it's one of those like, well, do you like problems? Because this is how you create problems. Well, and that's that's it's a good point because that's why you want to hire a, a, a good land professional because there are some cases like that where the buyer is going to come in and think I could just go in here and I'm just going to diss all this under and it's you know because it's my land I'm buying it. Um, you know, there's also you know some other federal programs out there like CRP comes to mind. Sometimes I have buyers that don't understand the CRP program. Uh, it's, it's enrolled into that and they don't know that if I'm going to go diss this hilltop up and I'm going to put a nice house right up there, that they're going to have to pay back all that money that has been put in that program. I mean, I understand you're not going to take the whole, you know, let's say 160 acres. You might only be taking five acres out that five acres that you take out. You're going to have to pay that back. So there's, there's other yeah, there's other programs there that you got to be, you got to understand. I mean, there's forest programs out there. Uh, so it just very, it depends on the property, depends on the situation. And having a very knowledgeable land professional 
is key in most of these cases. Can you give me like a, a 101, maybe a 100 level of the CRP program and why that matters? Yeah, a conservation reserve program, uh, CRP, is kind of a set aside. Uh, basically, you're, pay, you're getting paid not to farm it. You put it in a grassland, whether it's for conservation, for animals and whatnot. Um, but but you are getting income off of that for, for doing that. The income probably isn't going to be as high as if it was in row crop, but yet you are getting an annual payment off of that. And the FSA office, their fiscal year is October 1st, October 1st. So each October, you're getting a full amount for enrolling that those acres into CRP uh, for the whole year. Now, when you enroll your land into CRP, typically a, a 10 year contract. And so let's say we're in year five and I, that example that I had, you want to take out five acres of, of, of the whole, and you would have to pay back those five acres for those five years, uh, plus a little penalty, which is, I don't think it's, it's pretty minor, but, uh, um, but that's what a lot of people think. Oh, I'm just going to buy it. It's mine. I'm going to disc it under, I'm going to do this. Well, you know, there is a contract on it. So, which could be a doozy of a cost if you're not ready for it. It could be, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but I don't know. I have to get out my calculator. So it's, <laughs> you know, if, if, if it was just, you know, five acres, let's say it was $175. So that's $875 a year. You times that by five, that's almost $4,400 that you just have to pay back. Um, to rip it up and to do, you know, maybe plant something or, or like I said, to build a house or build a, a cabin or what have you. Right. So, so kind of back to the the contract issue where you have a tenant and you have a new buyer that wants to replace the tenant and you need to give, you know, in most cases, that's where it's like, you always make sure you give written notice. How much written notice prior. Have you written notice? Well, I, I was talking over you. Sorry. What was your last part of the question? Sorry. I said, how, how long in advance to the end date do you have to give written notice to be still in good legal standing? It, there's, there's no, uh, you know, you, you, there's no said language where you have to be 30 days within that window. So it's saying from, from August 1st, September 1st, you have to be within that window. You don't have to, I've had guys, uh, close on something, let's say the first of March and uh, give that tenant due notice for the following year right away. So it, there, there isn't a real time frame on there, but it, you know, each each circumstance is going to depend on on the on on it. But you know, for for the most part, you know, usually that August uh, window, thirty days before, is usually a good window. Uh, farmers know that it's coming. You got it, and you got to send it certified mail if you don't do it in person. Right, right. So you definitely work with your attorneys. Definitely give written notice, and I, and I would say to to that, so to, to your point of you know you can give way advance notice for it. That's kind of best practice, probably, is give notice as soon as you possibly can, so that that so that the tenant has time to do what they need to do. Right, and, it, and it's one of those those. It's it's a very simple thing, but it's also one thing that it can be easily just set on the back burner. I'll get to it later. And then all of a sudden, you know, September 1st came and went and you're like, oh, crap, you know, <laughs> I forgot. So right. it's one of those things that, that you can easily forget. So, you know, like I've tell people, it, it's on the front of your mind. Do it now. You know, even though if it is 90 days prior to September 1st. 
Right. So in, in these cases where you're working with a lot of, you know, buyers that don't necessarily run the land where you said, you said it's like 75% of the time, are they, are they usually in state or they can, are these people like across the country and just looking for cropland investment? You know, and that's, it's probably 50, 50. I mean, there, there's going to be some that are, that are in state, but they're a County two away. Um, they, they can be out of state um, or, or that that's something that they inherited. They left the farm years ago and they inherited it. And, and that's what they sit there and they, they rent it out. And this is the situation, uh, you know, that we see a lot of, especially in the Midwest where, where a lot of people are, investing in cropland do you usually see it as and you know it's going to be strictly from talking to the buyer are they looking for hedge are they looking for income are they looking for um you know primary investment this is just what they do is is what's sort of the the range that you see with these investors that buy up this land and have tenants well you just hit all three okay so it's all the above yeah it's (laughs) d all the above uh, so yeah, wh- whether they're just, they've, they've, they want to diversify their, their investment portfolio. They have a bunch of stock market. They want to take a little bit out and put it in the land. So they have some land and they have some stocks or they're looking to get a, a percentage off of their money, return off their money. But then a lot of it is the anticipation of the increase of the land value over, cause it's going to be a long-term hold. They're looking at it as a long-term hold. And in 10 years, I'm going to sell it or in 10 years, it'll be paid off. And I'm, I'm going to pass it down to next generation. And then that next generation is going to have land that they can have income off of, you know, so it is, you know, a wide range of reasons why, you know, and, or they're not making enough, or they're, not, they're not making any more of it. So I want my own. Right. Which is, I mean, I would say we see all of the above, but I wanted to see if sort of, if you see anything, you know, if, if it leaned any particular direction in your area was what I was kind of curious about. Um, so what's, what's your advice? So in, in this situation, what could have prevented the, the, the situation that you ran into with like the verbal lease? Basically when you're sitting there and you're listing property, those now, those are one of my first questions that I'll ask them is, you know, okay, do, are, do you farm the land yourself? No. Do you have a tenant? Yes. What type of lease do you have with a tenant? Because you want to know if it's a year to year contract. You want to know if it's a three, five year contract, uh, where you're at in that contract. Um, because in, in some cases that can affect the sale. Um, so let's say, let's say we put it up the first of the year and, but then they have a tenant that's tied to it that year. Well, some of the guys that are out there looking for a farm, they may pass that farm because they want to buy a farm that they can farm themselves that year. Um, so, so they don't want to be tied to a contract. They don't want to be tied to a certain tenant. Um, so it's just asking those questions up front when you're listing it is, is the key. So your kind of role in this situation is sort of like you're like the Jiminy Cricket of of the of the deals that you come up like you're the conscience on the shoulder of of whoever you're working with, where you almost have to know what they're doing as, you know, either a tenant harvesting crops or the owner, you know, looking for investment in land. And you've got to know all sides of that that any given one of them probably only know their side, like the tenant knows the crops or the owner knows the the inputs and the tenant hold. 
you have to know all those things and sort of act as the overall guide for all of this. And you were talking a little bit before about sort of how you how you preserve, you know, land for the next generation because it's your your kind of job to make sure that this land is still working right i mean you're the consultant in the whole thing T- tell me a little bit about your philosophy there yeah kind of the consultant and kind of the sherlock holmes of the whole deal but but yeah my whole philosophy in getting into the whole land sales incoming and having a farming background is you know i'm there trying to help the next generation to be the next caretaker for god's planned paradise which is, it's that's a heck of a mission statement there. <laughs> well, hey, I cannot take credit because basically, if you look, if you come to my office, you see I have the whole, so God, uh, so God made a farmer. That is uh, Paul Harvey's uh, poem. So I, I, I took a very small uh, part of it, but the whole thing starts basically says, Let's see, how does it start? Now I'm putting myself on this on the spot. Um, on the eighth <laughs> day, God looked down on his planned paradise and he said to himself, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. So if if everybody remembers um the Super Bowl commercial where uh Dodge used that, um that it, if that did not make anybody go out and buy a Dodge truck, I don't know what did. Um <laughs> so there were numerous people that I know personally that cried during that commercial. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I still have, I have goosebumps sitting here talking about it because it's just something, you know, the era that I grew up in and, you know, Paul Harvey, you always listen to him on the radio, uh, excellent voice. And, uh, yeah, just to take a little snippet from that, like I said, I cannot take credit for any of that, but I always sit there and think, you know, I, I trying to be that person that that is helping the next generation to be the caretaker of God's paradise. So it's it's just it's just one of those things that I, you know, try to keep in the back of my mind, mission statement, call it whatever you want. Um, but yeah, so God made a farmer. It is essentially your job, right? I mean, you are taking the people that are cultivating the ground and food for everybody else to sustain themselves. And that food is produced, you know, in our country's farmland and you're helping the ownership move around and, and negotiating those things and to where, you know, how much of your day is sort of managing logistics and how much of your day is, is meeting new people. Like it's, I'm, I'm curious about just the workload and it, because it's good. And the reason I'm asking, is not just a superfluous question. It's more just asking, you know, it, it, in your days as a land professional, how much are you dealing with the logistics of just getting this stuff done so that new people can take hold of land? Well, it, it it's, 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 it's whether you're, you're working a current deal or you're working a deal for the future. It's that's, it's never ending. I mean, you, there's, there's days where your phone starts ringing at seven o'clock in the morning and it doesn't stop ringing until nine o'clock at night. And I mean, your jaw hurts because you've talked so much that day. But then there's some days where, okay, I just get a couple phone calls and I get a couple emails and, you know, I've got uh, some agents that have some questions and, you know, it was a pretty easy day. And if you want to put that whole day into one, it took two hours for that whole work day. Um, So it really varies, but yet you're constantly working on either A, a current deal or B, the next deal. 
And, you know, whether, whether I'm working on logistics of the deal, you know, th- those are just basically phone conversations that I'm having, um, you know, and then maybe I might jump in the truck because I have a two hour meeting uh, to talk to or look at another piece of dirt. And, uh, you know, that two hours, two hour drive time, two hours there, two hours back, I kind of took up the whole day just to go look at one piece of dirt. So it, it just, it really varies. It, it, I know, like, and I was going to say the rationale for the question is it's, it's more the, the sort of outline of what sort of land professionals do. Like when you, when you think real estate, I always kind of center this around people's interpretation of somebody who works in real estate, where it's like, you're out there to make the sale and you're just meeting people and you're, you're a salesman. And in this case, it's not like you are, you've got the, you have to have the knowledge of ownership of stewardship of crop production and you you act primarily as a consultant in this level and it's really what differentiates land professionals and and that's what sort of what i, what I wanted to drive into is like this is not just like a, a sales thing this is this is helping people with hardcore legal ramifications logistics production yields inputs like all those things have to be you know taken in and done on a daily basis right and if you don't have the answer for all that, you sure as hell better find a way to find that answer or have a resource uh, to call or a resource to hand to your client and say, look, I don't have the answer or I might know enough to be dangerous, but hey, call so-and-so, they know, you know, and then have those resources in your back pocket too. And, and honestly, that comes with years on the job. I mean, I'm 25 years into selling land, so... You know, it, I don't I don't want to sit here and say, I know I know it all. And I and I have all the resources, which I don't. And, and I'm constantly meeting new people. Um, and hey, and, and that's the other thing is whoever listen. Hey, I love talking about land. I, I've got this older gentleman that lives in Lincoln. He calls me up. He's hey, Ryan, you know, just just bored. I want to talk to you because he heard about a sale or you heard about what's going on. And sometimes those those conversations are 10 minutes. Sometimes that conversation is 45 minutes. But gosh dang it, I, lo- I love sitting here talking to that that individual, and I love talking about land. So if you guys got questions, I mean, I'm not here just to sell. I'm I'm here to help you too. Right, right. Which is an important, you know, staying in tune of those things also helps you. But it's it's you know, you love what you do. It's it's one of those things like where it's if you love it, it's not really. I would say it's not really working. It's not working, but you know, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I know. And that's, that's, that is funny that you bring it up because there, there's truth in that statement. If you find something that you love to do, you know, it doesn't seem like you're at work. And that's, that's so true in this case. Absolutely. Well, I know that you, uh, you have work to do and I'm, I'm stealing that from you right now. Uh, so I want to give you a chance to get back to it, but, um, man, thank you for, uh, for especially walking through a situation that I feel like a lot of people are going to encounter if they're looking at cropland or any kind of land, right? Like, cause it happens with hunting leases, yeah. it happens with ranch land. It's, I mean, the ownership tenant situation is one of the primary parts of, of ranch land. Like you know, running cows on land, a lot of people don't own it, you know, they lease it. And so it, well, and that's the thing is if, if you're looking to sell as far as the agents have that as, as a list of your question that you're going to ask, ask about the lease and the details of the lease. If you're going to buy a piece of dirt, that's the one thing you should be asking the owner if you're if you're buying it directly from the owner or if you're buying it through the agent. 
ask about the details of the lease if there's a lease. And, and like you said, there's there's so many facets of leasing. You know, like you said, there's hunting, there's there's farming, there's grazing. Um, so so there's there's all types of different leases out there. Just make sure that is on the list of your question, whether you are selling or buying. I think that's sage advice. Mr. Schroeder, I appreciate, yes, sir. I appreciate your time, man. Well, thanks for having me again. It's always fun to have these little fire fireside chats with you. Heck yeah. We'll, we'll get you on here again and, and I'll be in touch. All right. Sounds good, Mac. This concludes episode number 50 for the National Land Realty Podcast, talking with Ryan Schroeder about his experience with a difficult farm sale. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com. 